Father, we come this morning to celebrate your love for us, God. It is quite a thing that you came to seek us, to save us from our sin and all the ways we had wandered from you, and you tell us it's because you love us. And so, God, we celebrate that this morning. Father, as we look at this passage that you've given to us this morning, I, I pray that we would see how your love for us is meant to be worked out in all of our relationships with others, that we would love them as you have loved us. So God, speak to us this morning, fill us with your spirit, Lord, help us to feel your love again today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Risen Life again. And uh, I think John and Sue Hanks really, John in particular, just wants to do pastor appreciation because he wants me to buy a new shirt. So he keeps telling me that. And so he, now he's taking it upon himself to even raise the funds for the new shirt. So there, there you go. Um, that, thank you. John said he'll get me one. He won't tell me his secret spot. But as Sean said, we're continuing in our sermon series in Colossians. And, you know, Colossians has this radical focus on Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and that we should live how we should live in, in light of that. Um, you know, it has one of those best passages, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, where it says, Jesus is the, invi- he's the image of the invisible God. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. He is our savior. He is God. One of the biggest points in all of the Bible and that it's this Jesus that saves us is, is if we claim to be believers in him. He took us from darkness into light, Colossians says. He, he removed our sins on the cross. He made us holy. He made a way for us to be in relationship with the Father, canceling all of our debts, giving us hope to live. I mean, it's a good thing that Paul is reminding us. And Paul wants us to be stuck on this gospel. Don't ever move off of it. Don't ever move off of what Jesus has done. Let it propel you in all areas of life. And then he prays for us in the beginning of this book, Colossians 1, 9 through 10. He says, look, based on your faith in Christ, this is what I pray for you, that you would know and understand the gospel more and more. You'd walk in God's ways more and more that you would be pleasing to God and increase in bearing fruit in this world for God. And so the last two weeks, we've looked at some practical ways to do that, putting off the ways of the world, the things that are in our heart that are so destructive, and yet putting on the things that God has for us. And so we're going to get even more practical this week in Colossians 3, 18 through 21 is where we're going to be this morning. Just these couple of verses, and so you can open your Bibles or the YouVersion app or whatever you have. And we're going to get um, and look at some practical relationships. I was reading one commentator this week, and he said this, you know, we move from the religion of the universe that we've been talking about, the greatness and the bigness of Christ, to the religion of the kitchen and the bathroom, right? To the bedroom, where we have gospel, these, this universal gospel should inform the way we conduct ourselves in every aspect of our life, in all of our relationships. And so our question that Paul is working at this week is, how does our Christian faith impact our marriages and our families? How, how does this great gospel affect even these primary relationships? 
these daily relationships, these very real parts of life that reveal who we are. Your kids know what you're like. (laughs) Your wife knows what you're like. And saying even in these things, the gospel should have impact. I was reminded this morning, uh, I shared this with our parenting class last week, but you know, in my 20s, I thought I was a pretty awesome Christian. Like, I did pretty awesome things for God when I was single, and then I got married, and I'm like, well, maybe I got a little sanctification needed in my life, right? My wife showed me that. And then I had kids, and I was like, I'm not even sure I'm saved anymore, right? <laughs> like, the depths of my heart are coming out. And Paul is saying, even here in these relationships, the gospel should be present, and we should be being change. And so he's going to show us that we're going to reclaim God's design for marriages and family in a way that will bless us and ultimately proclaims the gospel to the world. So we'll look at this in two parts this morning. We'll look at Christian marriages and then we'll look at Christian families. So look with me uh, at Christian marriage here in Colossians 3, 18 through 19. I'm going to back up and start one verse earlier in 317. It says this, and whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So in other words, every part of our life should be shaped by our relationship to Jesus. It should have a Christocentric piece to it. It should look like what we believe and claim. And this includes our marriages and families. And that's why he goes on to say this in 3.18. He says, look, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Let's be honest. Right from the get-go this morning, we hear these verses and this particular prescription for wives in this passage, our cultural alarms go off, right? In our current cultural climate, that word submit, it hurts our ears. I know that. Our culture would tell us to throw off the bonds of authority in in many spheres, but especially in the relationships between men and women. In fact, this is the the descent of humanity in Romans 1, that we want no authority on us but our own. Kids don't want to obey parents. Wives want to cast off their husbands. We want to cast off the bonds of work and anyone that would tell us what to do. In fact, I was talking to my wife about this passage, and she said, this is not my favorite verse in the Bible. I said, I really don't see what the problem is. And she says, well, you're a man. (laughs) And so I'd say, "Let's, let's take for a second. Let's just open our hearts to what Paul is saying here. Look, this whole chapter is about putting off the ways of thinking like the world and putting on the ways of Christ. Okay, And Paul has something to say to us here about that. That even in the marriage relationship, We have work to do about sorting out our cultural voices and what God has for us in marriage. So let me start by saying this. What Colossians 3.18, excuse me, something got in my mouth. What Colossians 3.18 is not saying is that women are of less value than men. Okay? Genesis 1.27 says both men and women were created in the image of, of God. Both reflect the image of God. Both are image bearers before God. They are of equal value before God. 
Furthermore, we know that this passage is not about a difference in access to salvation in Christ, as if men have better access and women have lesser than. Galatians 3.28 tells us that both men and women have equal access to God through Christ. It's Jesus who saves men and women. This verse is also not saying that women cannot be successful in our world or be leaders in our world. In fact, that's part of what's celebrated in Proverbs 31, this successful woman that runs a business and does great things and her husband sits back and says, go get it, great. And this is not a verse that says all women should submit to all men. Rather, it's a very specific call for a wife to her own husband and no one else. So what is Paul getting at here? How do these verses help us have good marriages? How they proclaim the gospel? On the biggest level, what Paul is telling us here is he's helping us reverse the curse that God gave to us in the fall. He's rolling back the curse in Christ. Part of what Christ is doing is bringing all things under his rule, all things into his kingdom, establishing order again. He's restoring the original design. And Paul here, I believe, is speaking directly to the restoration of the marriage relationship that was lost in the fall. Genesis 3.16. This is part of the curse given to Eve. God says, your desire will be for your husband, and yet he will rule over you. There's two ways that this has been interpreted. One, some people think that this is a a large romantic desire from the the wife for companionship and love, and yet her husband will be aloof and harsh. Okay, and we know that that can be true at times. But many others will translate it as that your desire as a woman will be to rule over your husband, and yet your husband will harshly rule over you. And either translation shows this relationship by, by, between men and women has been frustrated. I'm persuaded by phrases like Genesis 4, 7, where it talks about how sin is going to master over Cain and, uh, using the same word, that it's actually talking about women want to rule over their husbands. This is part of the curse and the men become domineering and unloving and harsh. God's design was that Adam would be the vice regent on the earth, ruling over the earth, and his wife would be his helpmate. But those of us that are married have experienced this. Two sinners coming together, two sets of desires and goals, and we have two cooks in the kitchen, and we fight. <laughs> right? We, we, I, we sometimes, me and Amy, do this to each other. Amy came to me the other day. She said, okay, do you want to sweep the floor or do the laundry? Why is it those two choices, right? I said, would you like to clean the garage or run to the store, right? This is us trying to figure out who's in charge, right? What are we doing? I want these desires. You want those. What are we going to do? We want to rule over one another. And God is saying, if you want to have a good shot at marriage, you ought to do it in the way I designed it to work. And so on the second, so, so Paul is calling us 
to bring back the design of marriage. Reclaim God's call of marriage. On the second level, God is setting your marriage up to proclaim the gospel. This is the bigger purpose of marriage even. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, Paul teaches us that our marriages are meant to represent, as we've talked about this morning, the sacrificial love of Christ for the church and the church's devotion to Christ. The woman would submit to their husband as as the church does to Christ, and the husband would love and give himself up for his wife as Christ does for the church. I want you to see, this is really what Paul is talking about in Ephesians, is really a mutual submission between husbands and wives. Both are giving up of their lives for this relationship. Both are giving up their lives for each other. Husbands should be devoted to giving up their life for their wife, and in response, their wife should give up their lives for their husbands. We see this even in the practical things of marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 2-5, it talks about in sex, both of our bodies are not our own. Yours is your spouse's. A giving up for each other. And that ultimately God's bigger purpose for Christian marriage is to be a picture for the gospel. To teach us about the gospel and to teach the world about the gospel. When your husband loves you well, It teaches you about Jesus' love for you. When your wife loves you well, husbands, it teaches you about how you should love Jesus. And beyond that, it teaches the world about what God is doing. Just a week or so ago, we were talking with one of our relatives, and he'd gone through a divorce, and and he said, you know, I've been watching, and I'm a little hesitant to, to get married again. And he said, but I've been watching he said, all my friends that, that don't have faith, their marriages are worse than the ones that I know that do have faith. There's something that's binding th- these marriages together that's different. He's seeing this picture of the gospel coming through these marriages. So we want our marriages to reflect the gospel. So let's work at this piece one more time. What does it mean for wives to submit to their husbands, right? primarily means that you graciously support your husband in leading your relationship at home, practically, and spiritually. That's what Paul's calling us to. In our own marriage, Amy has has graciously let me set the tone for our family, where we're going, what we're doing, how we're going to follow God, what we're going to do in this life. And that doesn't mean that Amy has no input. If you've met my wife, she's a spicy woman, Right? (laughs) She lets me know what she thinks, right? We talk about things. We work at things. We wrestle over decisions together. This is something we're building together. For the most part, we set mutual goals. But at the end of the day, she places the big decisions in my hands. And that can be freeing for a wife. And I think I've only had to make the decision on my own a couple of times, right? Like, if you got this, this card in your pocket, you don't throw it down all the time. We were, uh, we had uh, signed up to adopt two children, and we found out we were having Jeremiah, and then we went through this process of what are we going to do now, right? Are we going to continue to adopt two children to one? And we debated it, went over it, lots of tears, lots of praying, lots of thinking, and at the end of the day, she said, I don't know what to do. You make the decision, right? This is what it looks like. 
Now here's the problem, wives, and you know it, and we know it as men. But we as men sometimes are terrible leaders. 100%. Amen, thank you. And wives desire a great leader that they can follow and be cared for. And part of our curse as men is that we cower and we're not great. We hide and shirk our responsibilities. And there are many wives out there that they can run circles around their husbands. My wife might be one. She can probably preach better than I can. But part, that's part of the problem of the garden that got us here. Adam didn't lead his, and protect his wife, and she eventually was in a place where she was deceived by Satan. Right? Wives, this is where your sacrifice comes in. This is where... The, the ways of the gospel seem just, they, they seem like they don't even make sense in our world. But God is saying, if you will do this, it will lead to good things in your marriage and will proclaim the gospel. And it comes on your sacrifice. In fact, Ephesians 5.33 points to the fact that, the, that women want to be loved and men want to be respected and allowing graciously and supporting and even pushing your husband to lead, you're actually helping him grow in the gospel in confidence as you lend respect to him. And ultimately, it will be good for you. When you graciously lend support, you're participating in the sanctification of your husband, the work that God is doing in them. This is a high calling. And it's hard to let go of control and give it up to somebody else. This is difficult. To trust your husband to lead, to do things selflessly. So I'd ask the ladies today, I want to give a challenge to each group this morning. Ladies, ask, ask God to reveal areas of your heart where you need first to submit them to God, right? But then to give over areas of your heart to your husband. What can you make, what, what change can you make this week that says, I'm with you and I support you? And I want you to become the leader that God has called you to be. Now, as we'll see in verses 18 and 19, families we're talking about, and verses 20 and 21, Paul's actually arguing from the lighter to the heavier. So we've talked about the lighter thing with ladies. Now we're going to talk about the heavier thing with guys. Okay? Well, both commands are important. The, the ones, the husbands and the dads, are where the emphasis lies by Paul. Paul here commands husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Guys, if, if, if you like Colossians 3.18, then you better pay attention to 3.19. Because the responsibility for a good marriage falls on you. Guys, in your relationship with God, who loved you first, you or God? God did. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. If you want your wife to graciously submit to your leadership, then God's call in your life is to be the one that loves first in the relationship. The call on the wife is actually to submit to her husband, but it's a call for her to respond to your love. And this is saying if you're being harsh with them, they're not going to respond. And this is just what Christ did for us. And what does it look like to love our wives well? 
You ever ask this? Ephesians 5, 25 through 28. Parallel passage of this gives us a picture of what it looks like. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Look, loving your wives well is about putting aside your personal agenda to focus on the development and growth of your wife both personally and spiritually. That's what God has called you to. Your job as a husband is to help your wife grow into a spiritually polished work in Jesus. It's your job to help your wife find those things that make her heart sing in life. Practically loving your wife, it looks like this. It looks like turning off the ball game to understand her thoughts, feelings, and dreams. It means forgoing your recreation desires to spend time with your wife. It means doing the dishes, not because you want to, because let's be honest, no one wants to do dishes, okay? But you do it because you want to love your wife well and show that I care for you. It means helping her find God's calling in her, her life, her vocation, helping her achieve her goals. And deeper than that, it's about helping her grow in her faith. If you're going to help someone grow in their faith, guess what? You've got to be pursuing it yourself. <laughs> and many of the women in this room outrun the guys in pursuing their faith by a long shot. Means leading out in prayer with your wife. Means leading out in worship with your wife. Means leading out in Bible study with your wife. It means leading by example what it means to pursue God and connect with Him and give her the opportunity and the space to do that. Come on, guys. We got to do this. This is hard work. I was convicted this week that I got to work at praying with my wife. We haven't done that well. And it's on me to get it going. We are one flesh with our wives, as Ephesians tells us, and that we ought to love our wives as our own bodies. No one hates their own body, but they love it and cherish it and nourish it. Um, First Peter, tell, Peter tells us that even if we don't love our wives and understand them and work at this, that it may even hinder our prayers to God. That's a pretty big thing. And if you love your wives well, then they will gladly come under your leadership because they will have seen your heart in action, and they can trust you. And me, you might be asking, what if I have a broken marriage? Well, later in this passage, Colossians 3, 23 through 25, we're going to look at it in detail next week, but it reminds us, look, whatever Paul's calling us to do here, it's not about that person in front of you, it's about serving Jesus. Your, your submission to your husband is about submission to Christ. Your loving your wife is about loving Jesus well. And so if the other partner is not responding to you, then it says you don't worry because God sees it. And he will reward you, and he will also hold those accountable that have hurt you. In fact, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure conduct. And the same goes for men. Look, if your marriage is a dumpster fire, guys, then the burden is on you to start laying down your life as Christ loved you. 
No matter what your wife is doing, you've been called to lay down your life by God and win her over with your love. You might say, ah, but she, no, no, but she's, right? God says, you love that woman and you win her over with the love that I have shown you as you show it to her. The pathway to a better marriage is not more complaining and pouting about your sex life, guys. It's doing the hard work of loving your wife well. Because that's what Christ did for us. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While your wife is sinning against you, you lay down your life for her. So husband, your challenge is what in your life are you going to give up this week to show your wife, I love you and I care about you. In the gospel, we have reason to hope that our marriages can be restored, that we can come together, we can begin treating each other those, those things in Colossians three twelve through 15, love, compassion, forgiveness, and that we can come to a good place. All right, let's move on to our last couple of verses here. Talk about Christian families. Okay, children, listen up. All your parents want you to hear this. So we're going to say it here. Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything. And all the the parents said, Amen. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Well, we probably just did that. Lest they become discouraged. Here again, Paul's arguing from the lighter to the heavier. Father's commands are greater than those of the kids. Okay, children, let's talk for a second. Raise your hand if you listen and obey your parents sometimes. Okay, all right. Raise your, keep your hand up if you listen and obey your parents most of the time. Okay, it's getting a little thinner in there maybe. Keep your hand up if you obey your parents every time and everything the first time they say it. Okay, y'all need to repent out there. Because that's just not true. This is a hard command, right? And sometimes our hearts don't want to obey our parents. Listen, kids, have you ever been on your way to go, like, play a game with your siblings or your friends? And as you're going by mom and dad, they say, wait a second. Can you clean your room before you do that? Come on, mom. We don't want to obey our parents because we have a natural desire to not do what's right. And this is part of the reason why you even as kids need Christ to come into your life and transform your hearts so that we will learn to obey. And did you know this? When you obey your parents, you actually become like Jesus. John 6.38 says this, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus did everything his father asked of him. In fact, he's the only kid that ever did it. (laughs) He promises that if you'll follow him, he'll help you obey your parents. And check this out. When you obey your parents, you actually become a witness to the world that you're a follower of Jesus. You want to be a good evangelist? Paul says obey your parents. That teaches the world. What would your friends think if, if they heard your mom give you a command and said, hey, go and clean your room? You said, okay, mom, and you went and did it. They'd look at you. Like something was wrong, right? That's Jesus in you, though. Now, here's the cool thing. Kids, have your parents ever promised you that if you do a good job listening and obeying, you get a reward? Anybody? Okay, have you ever got that reward? Okay, it's pretty good, right? 
I ask my kids all the time, like, if you clean up your room, empty the dishwasher, then you can watch that movie for a while, right? But guess what? God has something even better for you when he asks you to obey your parents. He tells us that he will bless you and you'll have a long life. (laughs) I want a long life, right? Do you want a long life? Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, referring to Exodus 20, 12, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, and here's the promise, that it will go well with you, and you may live long in the land. God just doesn't do this for his health, right? He's saying, if you do this, I will bless you, and there will be great reward. And I think we want to work at that. So kids, here's your challenge today. Today when mom and dad ask you to do something, I want you to see if you're going to do it the first time they ask with a joyful heart, knowing that you're not just serving them, you're serving God. And God is the one that's going to give you a great reward. All right, so that's, kids, that's what God's asking of you. Now we're going to move back on to dads and beat them up again for a second. Here's what Colossians 3.20 again says, Hey, children, obey your parents and everything that's pleases the Lord. Fathers... Don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. This second commandment falls on the shoulder of men again. Men, you are to set the spiritual tone in your marriage and in your family. In both places, you're to do it with the love that God has shown you. And guys, we need to step up here. We we have an epidemic of weak men that don't want to lead their families. Men that are caught in their sin. Men that are too easily pleased by the fodder of this world that it has to offer. Listen, the church needs men. And the church needs men that love their families and their kids as God has loved them. We need you. We need men to live out their faith for their wives and their kids. Men that will lay down their lives for their wives and their kids. Men that will have the gospel as the priority of their life. It's not about you. The greatest callings on men is to give up your life. And it's not for football or country. It's for your family and your kids in the name of the gospel. Your primary disciples should be your wife and your kids. If your kids annoy you and you treat them unkind and you discipline them in anger and they become discouraged around you, what are you teaching them about the gospel? Paul says the same thing in Ephesians. We heard this in our parenting class with a little more depth. He says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. One of my favorite Proverbs is, it talks about it, it says, Fathers, don't set in your heart that you want to kill your children, rather discipline them while there's still time. Okay, this is what this is getting at. The Bible's honest. And I want to be honest, I love to provoke my kids to a certain level, right? Growing up in the southeast, we had a term for this. It's called twisting their tails, right? Somehow meant to be character building, never quite was. But honestly, just the other day, one of my sons was doing some chores. He's doing a good job, and he was done. And he was like, just ready to go play and do his whatever his thing. I said, oh, by the way, you need to fold all the laundry. There was no laundry to be folded. He goes to the dryer, ugh, goes to the dryer, opens it up, nothing's in there. He looks at me like with the most disdain I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I can't believe you did that to me. 
right? He's becoming upset and discouraged. He doesn't want to listen to me. He doesn't want to hang out with me. And I definitely didn't portray God's love to him, but I had a good time in the midst of it. So sometimes we can provoke our children anger because we want to get back at them and make them feel as bad as we do. But this is not the way of the gospel. Listen, we've been working at this in our Sunday morning parenting class. How do we parent our kids with love in a way that gets at the heart issue of their sin and points them to the answer in the love and grace of God through Christ? Listen, grace is the only thing that changes our hearts, and it's the only thing that changes your kids' hearts. God's love and grace is the only thing that changes a human heart. We've looked at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. It talks about how we should be pursuing God and then we should teach our kids God's law and all these sorts of ways. And then it says, in time, your kids will ask, why do we live this way, Dad? And that's when he said, this is what God did for me. And he can do the same thing for you. If we do this well, we have to be men and women who are pursuing God in deep relationship first and then teaching our kids what we know about God. In essence, we're being parented by God while God is parenting us. We experience God's grace and then help our kids experience it. And band, you can come on up. You know, dads, the most important thing you need to know about parenting your kids is this. That the way you parent your kids is meant to demonstrate God's love. It's meant to demonstrate who God is and how he loves them. And whether you like it or not, the way you love and care for your kids, it will teach them about how God loves them. And if you're harsh and discouraging, they'll think God is harsh and discouraging. They'll have to go to 300 hours of counseling to get that out of their heads. But this is part of God's design for the family, and it falls on us as men. That we're to teach our kids what it looks like to be loved by God. You are the tangible representation of God in their life to your kids. And we have to do the hard work to be transformed by the gospel ourselves, so that we have something to give our kids. John 5.20 says this. This is Jesus. I think this is Jesus. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things he is doing. I love this. God loves his Son. And in the same way, he's turned around and he's loved us with the same love. God loves his son enough that he says, come on, son, let me show you what I'm doing. That's the kind of love Paul's calling us to have for our kids' dads. That you would love them, that you would include them in what you're doing, and part of that ought to be the gospel. Here's how I love God, and here's how you ought to love God, too. So dads, here's the challenge this morning. How are you going to love your kids in a way way this week that reflects the way God has loved you? How are you going to love them to show God's love to them this week? Let's not yell at them anymore. Let's be gracious and loving. So as we grow in our faith, every part of our life should reflect our faith. And Paul is telling us your marriages should look like that, your family should look like that. We're reclaiming God's design for our relationship. Wives no longer strive against their husbands and graciously support their leadership. 
Husbands no longer are harsh with their wives and use them for their own benefit, but rather they love their wives and they give themselves up for them. Kids begin to obey their parents because they know they're following God when they do that. And and dads love their kids because they know God has loved them. So as we come to a time of close this morning, we're going to do something a little different this morning. I encourage you guys to stand up and I'm going to invite up the Potters, Ron and Becky Potter. He's one of our elders here as well as my wife. And we're going to pray for all these different groups in our church. So let me ask you to do this. We're going to pray for wives. We're going to pray for husbands. Everybody can stand up. Sorry. Thank you. Pete got the message. Um, We're going to pray for wives and husbands and kids. And I'd ask you, if you're here of your family, you just turn as a family and pray for each one. If you're single here this morning, then pray for marriages and kids in this church and pray for your own heart as a kid. But we're going to close this way as we pray for the families and the kids uh, of our church. Dear Lord God, I lift up the women of this church, Lord. I pray that you would help them. If they don't know you as Savior, Lord, that they would come to you today and ask you to be their Savior, that you would be wooing their hearts. And Lord, if they do know you as Savior, that you would be helping them to grow in you and to be more like you. Lord, I pray that each of our identities would be in you and that we would find our our help and our encouragement there. Lord, for the wives of this congregation, I pray that you would give them strength, that you would give them the heart to submit to you and to submit to their husbands. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them, that you would guide them, give them your wisdom and your understanding, that you would help them to be good mothers and to be good wives. Lord, help them as they go about their lives that their whole focus would be on what you would want them to do um, each and every day. Lord, I pray for your grace to just fill this congregation, these women, and that we would all be searching for what you would want us to do this week, that we could serve you and we would fulfill your desires for our life this week. I ask this in Jesus' name. Dearest Lord Jesus, we just come before you as the men of this congregation, and we pray, Lord God, that you would give us a right perspective. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to really turn away from the selfishness that drives us so often, Lord God, and just the self-seeking pleasures that we pursue. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to honor and love our wives, that you would teach us, Lord God, to really care for them as you care for your church, Lord God. Help us to hold them in esteem, recognizing that they are princesses, Lord God, in your kingdom, and they are worthy of our praise, Lord God, and worthy of loving them, Lord, and I pray that you would just give us the strength to do that. And Father God, as as fathers, I pray that you would help us to really not exasperate our children or frustrate them, Lord God, but that you would help us to really love them and to pursue, Lord God, sharing who you are with them, that you would help us, Lord God, to introduce them to Christ and to be able to share with them what it's like to walk in your ways, Lord. And I pray that you would give us a right heart and a right attitude towards our kids, towards our grandchildren, Lord God, that you would allow us 
to be godly men who can be the image of you to our families, Lord God, that we can bear the image of Christ and that we can show them what a real father is like. I pray, Lord God, that you'd give us strength to overcome the temptations and the the weaknesses and the struggles that we have, Lord God. Help us just to be filled with your love towards our wives and our children. Amen. gift of salvation in our hands, God, and we would recognize that you, Lord, are drawing our children and that we are are there to help point them to you, God. I pray, Lord, that we would be great examples and leaders of the gospel in their lives, and I pray that every child in this room, whatever their relationship is with you, God, that you would draw them closer to you by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would offer and extend salvation, and that today would be a day of salvation, or that they would come one step closer, but wherever they are, Lord God, in relationship with you, that they would be given the gift of faith, Lord, all of their days, that they would be faithful, that they would grow up to be men and women who love you, because they are here, God, surrounded by your love. I pray, Lord, that they would see the example of Christ in our lives, Lord, and that they would um, that they would not be discouraged whenever we are not perfect, but they would know that they have a perfect heavenly Father in heaven that loves them perfectly, that comes and pursues them time and time again, every single time that they fall, every single time that they fail. He is ready with extended arms, ready to love them and welcome into his kingdom and family. So may every child here know the graciousness and the love that abounds from you, Lord, in Jesus' name.